Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411. Uh, might have stumbled that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. And, per usual, a bit of all of that this week. Uh, I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host. We are hot off the heels of UFC 243, a card that, if you looked at it on paper, it's about how it played out in practice. So we'll go over all of that. Our new undisputed middleweight champion. Really the only major news coming out of that event, in all honesty. But we'll go over all the results. Uh, Next week, the UFC is in Tampa for UFC on ESPN Plus 19. Headlined by former strawweight champion Ioannigan Jacek fighting Michelle Waterson. Winners probably got next for Weili Zhang, in all honesty. The rest of that card, uh, it's pretty solid. There's a lot of filler. (laughs) <laughs> but, but that's kind of common these days. There is, however, some some pretty good fights there, uh, if you know what to look for. And again, one of the benefits as well as downsides of watching as much MMA as I do, I can find little nuggets. I also know how many of these are just not all that good. So there's a lot of that. All right, that's kind of what we've got. And then, of course, news. So we'll get to the news when we get there. Here with me, per usual, my partner in crime, 411 Mania's jack of all trades. Jeff Harris is back in the building, everybody. Jeff, how you doing? What I'd like to have right now is all you podcast peons to stand aside and let the ladies look at the body of a real MMA podcast. This is the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show. Good evening, everybody. I'm Jeffrey Harris. You're welcome. I appreciate a Scott Steiner reference. Uh, so that I will say, st- I, that's Rick. Rude. Oh, that's Rick Rude. Rick Rude. Rick Rude. My mistake. Like, there's a couple Scott other promos Steiner, that are very if, similar. If you want some, come get some. No, wait, that's Rick Steiner, the big bad booty daddy. I mean, look, I could do Steiner math, but I don't think anyone wants to hear that. All right. Rick, Last, it was Rick Rude. I was, I was trying to evoke. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember the promo in question now. My mistake. It's, again, Steiner has done a lot of similar promos. All right, UFC two forty three. Yes, yes, yes. Before we get bogged down in the minutia of <laughs> pro wrestling promos. If you're listening, thanks for listening tonight instead of watching Hell in the Cell. But it's not like you're missing much. Ah, eh, we're not live. It's recorded. <laughs> Although Roman Reigns tearing his knee on that spot is... Uh, if you're, I mean, if you're watching or listening to us instead of the, the Helena Cell replay, also thank you. I will definitely uh, take that as well. All right. Last Again, last night, UFC 243. Good card overall. If you Again, if you looked at it on paper and went, okay, this looks great, this looks good, this is and eh, this is and eh, this is probably okay, hope that ends fast. It pretty much played out like that, one or two exceptions. We got. We wanted a great main event, and uh, even though I predicted it wrong last week, we got you a know, great main event. Yeah, I, I, I officially picked Robert Whitaker as well, so shame on me. I mean, I mean, I got it wrong. You got it wrong, but I'm not at all upset about that because we got a great fight out of it. Yeah, I said in some of the build-up to this fight that the entirety of MMA in 2019, this is the fight I'm most looking forward to. I absolutely stand by that. I don't think there's anything on the rest of the year that will not saying nothing's going to be better because there were better fights. There were there's at least like three better fights than this one was. I mean, 
in practice. I thought that Adesanya was capable of winning. I'm not sure I saw him winning by knockout in the second round, but, I mean, the dude, he's got skills. Brandon Gibson did, man. He called that exactly right. Mm. Uh, yeah. For those of you unfam- unaware, Israel Adesanya knocks out Robert Whitaker with punches in the second round. Very, very high-level fight. Uh, Whitaker was winning the first round, competitive first round, but I thought Whitaker was winning it until like the last second when he gets floored with a punch. Then in the second, Adesanya just seemed to have him figured out at that point. Whitaker didn't adjust. They got into an exchange. Uh, Adesanya clobbers him with a left hook, finishes him on the mat. Uh I would love to get into more detail about some of this, and I will and I will a little bit, but I also need to watch it a second time before I can really kind of sink my teeth into it. These two are so good, it requires multiple viewings to really get a feel for what happened. Again, I have some broad strokes that I will line uh, that it will line out here, but Adesanya, man, uh, I'm not saying he's the best fighter in the world. I don't think he is. I but man, that guy is impressive. I think he's had one of the most impressive ascents to a UFC championship win. I'm not sure the most, because there's different criteria and how you weight them differently might play a factor in again how you kind of feel about these things. But that's one of them. That's probably one of the top three. Uh, impressive ascents to the UFC title that I've seen. Uh, he just went out there and freaking starched Robert Whitaker, who I've been, whose in, praises I've been singing for a long UFC, time. In February 2018, basically just over a year and a half, he went from debuting in the UFC to becoming the undisputed champion of the middleweight division. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, again, some guys have done it faster. Some guys have beat Silva. Pre- yeah, Silva did it in his second fight. Um, Silva had a lot more MMA fights at that point. Yeah, Silva was very much a finished product, by and large, when he got to the UFC. Brock Lesnar, I think, won it in his third. Uh, don't quote right. me on that, but I'm pretty sure. His won, third UFC well, fight. Won and won and then beat Couture. Yeah. So, yeah, his third UFC fight. Third yes. UFC fight. Um, see the guy who did it really fast. I, I mean, and you had people debut as but he was under, he but, was undefeated, But he's still undefeated in MMA, and he was undefeated when he came in. Yeah, Whitaker undefeated. Had a, had Whitaker, a bit of a lengthy kick. Had a strong kickboxing career. Very good kickboxing career. Yeah. Uh, transition. He's still doing kickboxing when he started MMA. Um, then had a successful transition to MMA, and here we are. Um, I mean, I did not expect... I, I expected him to be like a, a hot commodity and like a top fighter. I didn't expect him to win the title this soon, though. Yeah, he's... Oof. Again, he's you, taken... You know, I, it, it, my gut was telling me, and I was wrong, but my gut was telling me this was like Darren Till all over again, is how this sort of felt like to me. And I, I was can, wrong, but it, it reminded me of that. I can kind of see where you would get similar vibes. 
uh, I think the primary different point of differentiation between the two comes down to one is like fight details that you have to be, you know, someone who spends a lot of time yeah. deliberately dissecting things to maybe find. And but even then, even you can dice. We've seen. I mean, and there's also. So I mean, the other thing. Is, the other thing would be quality of win. But Robert, we've seen so much. You know, dissections and analysis will simply go out the window when a fight actually happens. Sometimes, yeah. I I think at that point again, it's kind of like it's kind of trying to play the odds. You know how? Uh, it's like ring rust, which I think played a factor in Whitaker losing. Not, not again. Not making excuses for the guy, but. The fact that he fought twice in 29 months is, by all logic, suboptimal. He was doing very well in that first round until the very end. He was, I, he was winning. I thought he was winning the roundup yeah, until that I, knockdown. I, yeah, but then then I think he kind of had to give the, the first round to Adesanya because of the knockdown, right? If there, if there, Oh, yeah, especially that kind of knockdown. That wasn't a... And if that happened a little that, sooner, that could have been the end of the fight, too, right? I... I think if there's five more seconds after that knockdown, Adesanya finishes it. How did that? I didn't hear the sound very well. How did how did that knockdown at the end of the first round play out? Uh, if you can describe it, Robert Whitaker hits the ground right about the same time the bell sounds, yeah. to, the horn sounds to end the round. It's I'm, I haven't timed it out, but because when I'm close. watching the fight live, I never even heard. I never even heard. The bell sound the end of the, or the horn sound the end of the round. Neither did John Anik. Um, I did, and I okay. I, I would let me also be let me also be clear. I think if Whitaker doesn't kind of get up as the way he does as quickly as he does, that uh, Mark Goddard might have waved it off anyway if he was out cold. Like that would have been a perfectly valid finish if Whitaker doesn't behave the way that he does. Right. Like I think. Uh, do you remember BJ Penn versus Sean Shark from 2008? I think, was it UFC 84? One of the, might have been 88. Uh, yeah, that was very close to the end. Um, I mean, there's, there have been buzzer beaters or near buzzer beaters like that in the past. Like, uh, it I mean, didn't look like an immediate stoppage in that fight. Um, it was like the very end of the round. Um, and it and it looked like Shark was maybe saved by the bell, but he didn't answer for the next round. So you had a similar was, thing. You had a similar situation with the fight continuing. Uh, it, uh, when Anderson Silva fought Michael Bisbing, you know he not basically knocked him out with that flying knee. But right. it was right at the end of the round, and Bisbing kind of made all the intimations that he could continue. And there was again some of the confusion there. So it it does happen. I have no issue with the way it played out. Right. But here last night, I felt like Whitaker, it, it, it wasn't like he was complete. Did he look completely out to you? What do you think? Or was it a flash knockout? What, in the first? Yeah. What happened in the first? He got hit really, uh, he got hit really clean. I mean, yeah. he fell backwards stiff as a board, man. Like, that, he did. Again, there, there's different categories of knockdowns. Anytime you fall stiff like that, that's a really bad sign. <laughs> I mean, again, he got up, and all credit to him, that same punch knocks out the majority of the human race. But not again, that was a pretty gnarly one, and sometimes you just get hit. You get hit in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Maybe you don't see it coming. You know, Adesanya, look, Adesanya is not 
a Yoel Romero in terms of just like, okay, we're going to hook you up to this machine and calculate how much force you generate. But he can punch. So he I power. Um, not that it would have made a difference. I would have liked to see Whitaker mix it up with the grappling and the wrestling more with this fight because we haven't seen too much. We haven't seen Adesanya have to deal with too much of that yet. But, Not recently. I don't think re- I, no one's really like actively tried to grapple him no since the Bryson that's fight. On, I mean, no one that's. I, I mean, Whitaker is a pretty high level wrestler and grappler. You know eh, that. In some respects, yes. I mean, again, the man it's qualified a few different. He qualified twice for the Commonwealth Games, representing is Australia. Not, is that not pretty high level? <sighs> I mean, I'm gonna say I don't mean to insult anyone from Australia listening. I okay. really don't. Australia does not have the richest history of uh, freestyle wrestling at okay. the international level, so. Is but he, it, has a, it, he has a history working on that. Yeah, he, oh, he's worked incredible. And again, just even just qualifying to represent at a at something like that is nothing is prestigious. I mean, I'm not saying you could drop me over there okay. and I could do it. I think you could take Oh, okay. I'm going to I am again, I am not trying to insult anyone here and I am not the most knowledgeable about this, but okay. I imagine the majority of like if you took the top 20 uh, co- Division One collegiate wrestlers in the United States, they'd probably have a better than average shot of rep- of you know, of uh, accomplishing what he accomplished in, yeah. in as far as representing. A couple. Now that, things, now that yeah. being said, mm-hmm. he was going. He was preparing to go. You know, wrestle against guys from uh, all the different. Co- I mean, the Commonwealth Games are basically there's fifty some odd countries that take place a lot of i think most of them were colonized by the british so the indians are there and you know what the indians in fact and this is the uh, the country of india they do have a darn good wrestling tradition there are some darn good wrestlers that come out of that country so he was he was prepared to go do that and he's not used a lot of his wrestling in the in his mma career because he's never i mean again i mentioned this last week and I, for some reason, I forgot his fight with Uriah Hall. Maybe because I find Uriah well, Hall so utterly forgettable. Defensively, he looks spectacular in his two fights against Yoel Romero, who's oh yeah, oh an yeah, full wrestler, I, an Olympic medalist. Yeah, I mean, again, his uh, his ability to stop people who want to grapple him and then you know and then take them out on the feet essentially is what led to his success. But I, it's the I, same I, kind of thing that, and I said this. A slightly different context, mind you, but I said this about Joanna Yinjacek, uh during her reign of terror, mind you. I think yeah. it was going into the Valerie Letourneau fight. I said, I don't really expect her to get a finish here because she's fighting someone who is a competent striker. Whereas, you know, Carla Esparza's striking when they fought was the worst. And it's... I mean, well, it's not, Esparza's not a striker. No. Never, neither neither's... She wasn't then, isn't now. Neither is Jessica Penne. Or Those women, like, actively was, fled yeah. from the striking exchanges. Valerie Letourneau engaged in them. And what we got was, again, Joanna being the better striker, clearly winning the fight. But there's a significant, there's just this fundamental difference among whenever you watch, especially a diverse sport like mixed martial arts. You know, Chuck Liddell, like, 
big rant of prominence was everybody wants to take him down, nobody can, and then he knocks them out because they don't know what they're doing on the feet. Right. What happens when he starts fighting strikers like Rampage or Vanderlei or Jardine? He starts losing. And I get okay. I mean, like, let me let me rephrase. When he's when I say lose, when I say what lost to Keith Jardine, who's more of like a counter striker type. I mean, he gets knocked out by so he gets knocked out by uh, Rampage, gets decisioned cleanly. I don't know whatever judge gave that fight to Liddell is should never be allowed to judge fights again. Loses to Keith Jardine cleanly. Right. Uh. Winds up wrestling Vanderlei Silva to win the third round and make sure he wins the fight. Gets knocked out by Rashad Evans. I mean, watch the Ev- you know, rewatch the Evans fight. Rashad doesn't try to wrestle him at all. Fighters whose success is predicated on stopping you and stopping their opponent from imposing the op- from imposing their skill set. So I mean, Damian Maya is another example, right? Right. Damian Maya wants to stop you striking with him and force you to grapple. What happens when he can't? When he runs into somebody who's a willing to grapple with him, or b is able to stop him doing that, he tends to lose. Well, so and I'm not saying Robert Whitaker can't beat strikers. What I like about Adesanya, despite you know his kickboxing background, he he mixes things up. His He's adjusted to MMA very well, and you don't always see that out of primarily kickboxers and strikers. He's adjusted unbelievably well. I mean, uh, the way like he moves Phil around Davis, the cage. Like Phil da- and, and Phil Davis is a very good fighter and athlete, don't get me wrong, but his, you know, he never really developed his transitional game, and he was always so awkward when he's not doing the submission, the wrestling, the grappling, and he can't, like, just switch it up very well. And change levels and, and all that. Um, Adesanya doesn't have that. Yeah, Adesanya is an incredibly spectacular now, fighter. I saw a couple things, and I would like I the things I noticed, and I could be wrong, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts on these. I think Adesanya's length and reach last night made a big difference because, you oh, know, yeah. 80, 80 to 73. And... Adesanya did get hit a few times, but I also noticed that he was really good at, like, kind of engaging as he was getting hit and kind of leaning his body back. Did you see that stance where he almost had his body leaning back? But as he's leaning back, he's still throwing really hard strikes as he's sort of, like, leaning out of the impact from Whitaker's striking attempts. And still managing to engage and land damaging clean shots from a very just sort of weird striking position. Uh, is that something you noticed at all, or am I crazy here? No, that's a that's a that's definitely a thing that happened. Uh, he did a lot of leaning, and that's both good and bad. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I shouldn't say good and bad. There are positives and negatives to employing that defense, like anything else. Like there's Ways to get around it. There's strength it has. Even though he was eating shots last night, it seemed to be an effective difference maker. He did a few things. One, I think the only punches Whitaker landed consistently were his jab, which is fine. He's got the. I, I think he's got the best jab in the sport. He found that a few times, but any other 
punches he was really trying to get going, uh, even when he was like sort of landing, there's two things Adesanya was doing incredibly well to mm-hmm. mitigate. One was just rolling with the punches. He was able to kind of figure out which side it's coming from, move with the punch, which takes some of the sting off. The other thing he does incredibly well is framing. This cut, I mean, he was doing this in kickboxing, and he's transitioned it to MMA very, very well. Anytime you get in close, you could see this especially into the second round when Whitaker would kind of blitz forward and look to swing on him. He'd have one hand up, pull, both disrupting the punching lane and potentially even just framing off the bicep of Whitaker when he's trying to swing so he never really gets the punch going the way he wants to. It's an it's a very sophisticated defensive technique. It has we again all of these things have points and counterpoints. This is not well, yeah. I mean, he it, was not impenetrable that first round up until that uh, knockdown toward the end. I, Whitaker was having some success early on. Yeah, uh, again, what, I think the primary Gaslam did too, for that matter. Yeah, Gaslam's success in the first round was largely predicated off of, I think, that kind of... Because uh, he got a bit of a knockdown right before... Uh, I think, like, halfway through the first round, I think. I can't remember the timing on it. But there was a bit of a knockdown from Gaslam in the first. Um, here, again, Ad- while Adesanya... I thought, again, I thought Whitaker was going to... I would have given that first round to Whitaker prior to the knockdown. Right. But, but it was not by a huge margin they were both oh, having bits yeah, of success I was also marginally giving it to Whitaker until the knockdown that's yeah. why I felt the knockdown was enough to give that first round to Adesanya because there wasn't a whole it, it was sort of back and forth there wasn't a whole lot of significant I think when we even saw um strike strone it wasn't like a big disparity as I recall in the first round in terms of numerically, no, I don't think. No, it does. numerically. So I feel like that was a, that was the difference maker in the first round to give the first round to Adesanya. Um, I kind of feel for Whitaker. Yeah, this sucks. Uh, fight, if... He gets he gets a stadium fight in his home country. Um, is Melbourne his hometown? I'm not sure. Uh, he was actually born in New Zealand. No, he, okay, but. You know, he was really the hometown guy for this fight, for all intents and purposes. Um, Over 55,000 people. And never even got, never even got a single title defense in during his entire title run. And part of that's due to Yoel Romero's just. Yeah, that's, yeah, that one's not on him, but that is true. Um, And that kind of makes me a little bit angry. Um. It sucks, but it does happen. Middleweight's very competitive right now. As good as Adesanya looks right now, I'm not sure how long I see him holding this title. Um, it's a competitive division. It's very competitive. It is. Uh, yeah, it sucks for Whitaker. He's he also. I mean, again, he he's fought like twice in 29 months, which is a horrible schedule. Right. Well, as he said in interviews, that was not his decision. No, again, they. Some of this was injury related. Sucks. It happens. Some of this was the UFC deciding. Okay, you maybe he could have fought earlier, but you know we're gonna have this fight on this card. 
It well, sucks, he but... He needed time to heal up and train. Yeah. No, it it does it suck, and... opponent had just fought, had, you know, he does... Adesanya's had a very hectic schedule, too, and probably... I mean, let's see, when did he last fought, fight? Earlier this year, when he fought April. Gastelum. April. So, I mean, he didn't have a huge... And this was uh, Adesanya's third fight this year. So Adesanya's been fairly active. He fought, what, four times in 18, three times in 19? Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of... This is just kind of the thing about fighting in MMA. It's, it's the logistics. And when is, when is this person helping? When is that person? When can this person fight? Some, um, of it's, some of it's logistical. Some of it is the culture that, the Uf- that MMA has relative so to other Paulo combat Costa, sports. Paulo Costa was at the event last night to watch the fight. He denies that he was there to be a backup for the fight. I think he was just there to kind of scout the main event and hopefully get his name in there as the next uh, potential contender. I think he's the next contender. I think he is, but like now Adesanya's already looking for a fight with John Jones and you know, oh God. I we already got now we are now, now we got that brewing and, and I look. have I can't speak for anyone else. I have zero interest right now in Jones Adesanya. I mean, I know, but Adesanya, he's got like that superstar factor right now. He's got the it oh, factor. Yeah. And he's going to have the media are all constantly going to be asking and pecking about this. <laughs> and he fuels, fuels it too because he's been, he's been calling out John Jones a lot. So uh, They've been sniping at each other. That's definitely true. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it this year. I don't want to see it next year. I I let, just don't. I mean, let Adesanya defend the title a couple uh, a couple times. Hey, we have you... a, we have a competitive division right now. We have our we yep. have our next contender. Yep. And Paulo Costa. Yep. Let's your next two. See, let's cement. Let's try and see if Adesanya can cement his title reign and defend the belt before we like anoint him the next Conor McGregor or whatever. Who never oh. even. Defended his belts in the first place. So yeah, like, again, Connor never defended a belt. <laughs> exactly. So I again, I think uh, I, he's got all the makings of you know superstardom right now. But let you know, we you can't you can't force everything. You have he ha- now that he has the title. Let let's see if he can cement that and see if he can beat Apollo Costa. You know that's what. I think has to happen. Yeah. Again, you've got Costa lined up. You've got, uh, you know, Whitaker potentially getting a, I don't want Whitaker to get an immediate rematch. I don't think it's deserved and that sucks, but that's, I'm a, again, I like Robert Whitaker, Just, but I mean, look, Jared Cannonier is in the mix right now. You've got, uh, Kelvin Gastelum and Darren Till fighting soon. You have Cannonier in the mix. I mean, you know, Hermanson's coming off the loss, but you know, two more wins. And suddenly he's, you know, another, he's still a somewhat relevant player in the Leo picture. Romero could get back in there again at some point. Romero could get back uh, in there rather easily. The thing is, if Jacare and Weidman are moving up, that that could free up some spots uh, higher up the, the weight class. But Paulo Costa is the next contender while, while the rest of the division can sort itself out. 
So we don't need to see that fight right away. Like we can see this fight next year. Uh, I I'd be fine if that fight doesn't. I'd be fine if you know Jones versus Otis. Look, wait until twenty twenty one, and let's see what happens by that point. Like, well, let's see if that's if, still. If Adesanya is going to be active, let's see him try to defend the belt a couple times and see if he can hold on to it first. Yeah, and we start talking and, about a jo- a Jones fight. And he uh, and Costa is a really compelling fight in some respects. I mean, and so is Jones. If uh, Jones fights uh, with Blahovich. He has a fight lined up, right? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Like, I thought he was going to fight Jones, and then I think he got uh, a fight. Yeah, no, Blahovich is fighting uh, Jacare. Right. Eh, surprising. Yeah, that was a bit of an odd one. Um, So, yeah, I want to see, again, Costa and Adesanya. Costa presents some problems that are somewhat unique to the reality of Paulo Costa. I agree. Now, I... I tend to favor Adesanya in that fight. Ditto. Uh, but, as you say, I think Costa presents some interesting problems. I think it's a tough, challenging fight for Adesanya. And I think it's the perfect fight. I think it's the perfect fight for his uh, first title defense. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, again, Costa's the deserving contender. It would only be the second time in UFC history you had two undefeated fighters fighting for a belt. Uh... I mean, there you go. For those of you wishing to play the trivia game, the other one was uh, Machida and Rashad Evans. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it doesn't happen a whole lot. So, yeah, go for that it. Was, I, I, that, was, uh, that was ten and a half years ago, basically. Aren't we just old? Because <laughs> I remember the build for that fight. It was May, two th- it was May 2009, as I recall. Uh, yeah. That was a a great finish, but yeah. As for Whitaker, yeah, Cannoneer maybe, Hermanson maybe, something something to do with Gastelum, like the loser of Till Gastelum possibly. You you still got options for the guy. He's only 28. God, he's And again, since Weidman and Jacare are out of the equation, he might not have to, you know, take a bunch of fights to get back to the title level. I imagine... At a minimum, one again. I don't think, I don't think an immediate rematch is called for in this I agree. situation. Give him, give him at least one. Maybe not Yoel. Maybe the, maybe the winner of Till. Maybe the winner of Till versus Gaslam. I wouldn't mind that. Kind of depends on who wins and how they do it, because you might want to put that person in the title he picture. Was supposed to. Uh, he was supposed to fight Gaslam. Yeah. So. Which was a good fight then. It's still a good fight. Like, I feel like the winner of that fight wouldn't be deserving of a title shot just after that fight. Especially because Gastelum already just lost to Adesanya. I think, um, and and if Till wins, he's coming off of, what, back-to-back losses, right? And then... I guess there's a lot of... For that fight, it's going to be a lot of context. If Darren Till goes out there and flatlines Gastelum in the first round, I mean, again, history repeats itself, maybe, but... I I think that's a bad idea, because I think that's kind of the same problem you ran into with him at Welterweight. It would be, but that doesn't mean mean it wouldn't happen. I... I'm not advocating for it. I'm simply saying it is a thing that could happen. I mean, you could do the Cannoneer fight. Cannon yeah, is a big fight now. 
Yeah, I think Cannon. I think next for Cannoneer is either going to be uh, Romero or Whitaker. I mean, those that was, are Cannoneer. Those, those are the two off. most. I mean, the dude is transformed into a top fighter all of a sudden, and he's due for a a big fight in the top five now. Yeah, Cannoneer is definitely going to be hitting at the top of the division. That's where his next fight's going to be. So, okay. it's uh, again, there's I, options for both I, guys. I mean, look it, for. A card that didn't have a lot in the way of, like, elite top names on it. I mean, this was the fight it delivered. I loved, um, I loved, uh, uh, last night I think they did a good job in terms of presentation. We had the, we had the Ron Perlman voiceovers, which have been a, a, a fairly regular <coughs> UFC staple in, uh, in recent years. But we had the, the augmented reality graphics, which I liked. And the uh, the entrance tunnel, I thought was a nice touch because it just kind of gave like normally like UFC doesn't have much in the way of like an entrance set, but I thought what they did with the little tunnel was a good was a good touch. And then uh, Adesanya had his uh, what were they called? <coughs> his dance crew that that uh, for his entrance. I. Must have missed if they gave them a specific name. Was name there was a name. It like the dance. It reminded me of a of a haka, right? Uh, yeah, not a haka. I know what a haka is. It that's I don't know. That was just more a dance routine set to yeah uh, what they it had. Me, it rem, it wasn't the haka, but it was okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, it's yeah. yeah I'm all for. Look, I don't need giant. Liked all the bells and whistles last night. They did bust out a lot of them, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm a bit of an odd case because I I like the more minimalistic stuff, but at the same time, giving fighters the uh, the option to differentiate themselves a little bit in ways like that is something the UFC has been sorely lacking, and it's a direction they've needed to take for a a while. I, I don't think I think it's fine to see it every once in a while. I mean, I, I don't need I everyone getting like, pyro. <laughs> you know, for I, a I, like this for a big fight like this, you know, in a stadium main event title fight. I think it was fine. I think it worked. Yeah, I, I, I my big thing is yeah, I don't need to see it for every fighter, but I it. it MMA entrances, especially well, especially UFC entrances, are deeply repetitive and boring. So getting to break that up, breaking up that monotony a little bit, you know what? Yeah, it's it's not a bad thing. I think I enjoyed it. So that was your main event. Really good fight. Really, really great display of high level mixed martial arts. I got to pat you on the back here because I think you picked Hooker for the co-main, correct? I did. Well, uh, yeah. I was I was very unimpressed with Ally Quinta last night. That's been my stance on him for years. <laughs> um, Dan, in your co-main event, Dan Hooker defeats Ally Quinta via unanimous decision. 230-27 130-26. I was 30-26. I thought... I think I gave Hooker a 10-8 first because Al just landed nothing. Nearly got choked out at one point. Um, great, great, you know, surgical performance from Dan Hooker. He's going to struggle with the dangerous um, multi-level 
athletic fighters, guys like Barbosa. Really last night, though, I thought he showed a ton of improvement, maturity, uh, calmness, and uh, patience as well. He's a deeply analytical fighter. He's a very, again, he's a very, he's always been a very patient fighter. It's what, it's part of his success against a lot of people. There's a handful of styles that it's just going to get him in trouble against, and we saw that with Barboza. He was content to not fight Barboza optimally because he's used to fighting a certain way, and the way he fights plays into how Barboza fights. Ayakinta tried really hard to work the wrestling against Hooker, had no success. None whatsoever. He would get either stuffed or his neck threatened. Right. He went really deep on that single leg, and uh, Hooker just wouldn't let him have it. I was I was real impressed with that. Uh, look, I, again, Iaquint is going to wind up ranked rather highly because, A, well, two, re- uh, two there's two reasons, one of which is legitimate, more or less, one of which is not. The fact that he went five rounds with Khabib when he was a literal last like last day replacement fighter um, gets overblown. He's a tough fighter. He's a tough fighter. And tough then, he, I'm not saying he's... Let me be clear. Ally Quint is a tough out for a lot of people. He presents a couple of very specific problems that if you're not prepared to deal with will we'll shut you down. And, I... This is sort of where I see him throughout his career, though. Sort of a perennial top 10 fringe top five competitor, basically. I mean, he'll stay ranked higher just because of that win over Kevin Lee. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, Lee's coming back to lightweight and he's fighting Gregor Gillespie. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. It's a great fight, by the way. But Iaquinta does about three things. And when those three things aren't enough to get him a win, all he does is repeat them. So he's three-dimensional. No, he's <laughs> like two. He's two-dimensional, but one of those dimensions. That was a joke. Yeah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, look, he's two-dimensional on all of the bus stop stations his face is on across New York City. I see what you're saying, and it makes sense. Um, Hooker called out Dustin Poirier after the fight. Poirier if that, said no. If that fight's vi- if that fight's available, I like it. Um, Poirier mentions he wants to fight. He's going to be fighting McGregor next. If, I'm I fighting mean, the Irishman next. You're you're close, but not yet, buddy. Keep punching. I, I mean, again, if if Poirier versus McGregor is something they can reasonably put together, yeah, sure. Good that's luck. A bigger, Good luck. That's Good a bigger luck. fight. Good luck with that, Poirier. I you know. I Feel like his, tough. yeah. I like his chances more now than I did in their featherweight fight. I mean, I mean he's I done a like, lot to fix his game. I feel like Cowboy was barking up that tree, and it see it, it made sense, and then didn't happen, and then I don't know. Now Con- Connor's got to go to court over his latest. Yeah, we'll get there too. thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I would I would like Poirier, I think, m- more so than his first fight with McGregor. Yeah, he's done a lot, especially defensively, that he has shifted up that... I mean, again, if you watch Look, their he, first he, fight... He became a legit title contender after that. I mean... Yeah, went on a great run. Uh, but he gave Khabib a good fight. In many yeah. ways, a better fight than I think McGregor did. 
it's weird because on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, it's such a weird thing. Well, I yeah, think it's finished Khabib. That's better than Connor did, and Connor got knocked down, got socked in the face. Is last time I checked. Before yeah. Submitted. By the same token, Connor also won a round. I mean, again, so it's how do you? It's what do you give more weight? Yeah, to I mean, it was to me, it wasn't like an emphatic. Wasn't like a huge. He's, he's still the only guy to officially take a round off a of, off of no, Khabib. He's not. No, he's yeah. not. Officially, yes. Look, if we want, if you want to talk about how bad the scoring is in the fight, I'm going to reference fair play. Different discussion. Okay, so officially, he, officially, yeah. Again, if you go to the official scorecards for the T Bow fight, Khabib won 30-27 all three to, on all three judges' scores. Everyone officially. Has- one of his fights, he's only officially lost one round, and that was to Connor as well. That is the only round Khabib Nurmagomedov has officially lost in his UFC run. I feel like that's an absolutely absurd bit of dominance, by the way. Okay, I think it's absurd. I think it's absurd. It is only one round. I mean, look again. Watching that T-Bow uh, Nurmagomedov fight live, I thought T-Bow won. Rewatching it, I'm more sympathetic to potentially Khabib winning, but okay. I think at a minimum, the second round should have gone to T-Bow. Okay. But, fair, fair enough. I mean, again, look, I've yelled about scoring right. plenty of times. Poirier, I mean... If the McGregor is, fight's not there for Poirier, Poirier, Poirier like, and Hooker's a good fight. I like Poirier, but if you would do that fight, why not just do the fight with Cerrone? who I think would deserve that fight more. I don't know. Look, what goes into what kind of calculus Conor McGregor employs when making those decisions is beyond me. I don't know. It just see, I mean, the idea of McGregor even fighting again is just so it's, it's just like, I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, When it happens, I'll believe it basically. Um, okay, so Hooker came into this fight ranked 15th. Ally Quinta was 6th. I imagine we'll see Hooker probably around 6. Um, uh, yeah. You know, if the Magri- if the Poirier fight's not really on the table for whatever reason, um, I remember a few years ago, or maybe a year ago, um, after one of Hooker's wins, I uh, might have been the Jim Miller win. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if it's that in particular, but Paul Felder interviewed him. He was doing commentary in the in cage interviews and Dan Hooker very politely said, you know, I would love to, you know, I need another fight at lightweight. I would like to fight you. And Paul Felder's response was, I have no, I would love to fight you too. And it, it never happened for one reason or another. Felder's in the top 10 right now. I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I'm completely down for that fight. Um, um, it, <laughs> you could do Barboza. For a guy. Hooker? Yeah. They already guy- fought. I mean, they did, but Hooker lost that fight, correct? Oh, yeah, badly. Uh, yeah, so it might be too soon to do that rematch. Because Barboza's coming off a loss. I think you could. Uh, I think the only other one I might look at is the winner of Gregor Gillespie and Kevin Lee. I agree. Other than that, I don't know what Felder's got lined up next. right now. Uh, Gillespie's surging. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm. Has he fought Cerrone? Who, Hooker? No. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know if you want to do that. I, I don't know if that fight's a good idea either. Uh, what about certainly Gage? Not a, it's certainly not a bad fight. Um, Gagey. I think Gagey's in the... I think because um, he's coming off of... God, who'd he knock out? Who'd he just knock out? Why can't I remember this? He knocked out Cowboy. God. Right. I think Gagey's in the... I think you keep Gagey on deck for when something happens to Tony versus Khabib again. That's a good... Okay, good good thinking. It's just... Getting that fight together... <laughs> getting that fight together is like parting the Red Sea. And can we... Can we even get both guys in the cage healthy, you know? That's going to be a big thing, but... I I think you keep Gagey on deck in the title scene immediately, and again, you go a little below that for Hooker's next fight, but it's it's lightweight. There aren't really any bad options. Not like a barn burner, but like a good, solid technical fight, and I was real impressed with just the overall growth of Hooker as a fighter. I feel like he's continually getting better. Yeah, he did a serious number on Iaquinta's uh, lead leg. Those calf kicks are, were nasty. That's a that's a technique people need to. There are ways to defend it. I mean, again, all techniques have positives and negatives. There's ways to defend it. Most of them just suck. But I think if you come into a fight, especially against someone who you got documented instances of using that technique, Hooker does a lot you better have some kind of defense and not just be, I'm going to take it and punch through it because more often than not, that does not seem to be a winning strategy. All right. So next at heavyweight, we have some new young sure. blood sure. in the heavyweight division. Sir, yes, sir. from uh, Moldova a driver. Apparently he's a, polar he, he's bear. a bit of a cab. He's a bit of a he's cab a polar driver. bear and he beat tied to Ivasa and he prohibited the crowd from seeing any shoeys last night. So no shoeys for the Melbourne uh, crowd because of Spivak submitting Tai to Ivasa. I thought he looked pretty good. Um, he looked okay. I mean, it's, God, it's just low level heavyweight, you know, I mean, I, guess. I, I don't know what to I I don't Ivasa really know how to kind of get a handle on it. It's abysmal. There's that. It's not good. He got taken down, I think, seven times. Yeah, a lot for how short the fight was. Well, I I wanted to see Sp- uh, Spivak break the record for most takedowns in a heavy a three round heavyweight fight. Yeah, he got pretty close to it. Um, again, Tuivasa did okay for about two minutes. That first two minutes, he looked pretty good. He was moving okay, landing good. He had a couple of good kicks. Was engaging well and not getting sucked into he was stupid brawls. Ru- he, w- he was not fighting a polar bear. He was fighting a Moldovan. The man's name is Polar Bear. And that's his nickname. If he changes it legally, I will call him Polar Bear. Otherwise, no. His nickname is Polar Bear. Yes. Um, yeah, Spivak had good timing on his takedowns after that, uh, which is what led as much to his success, in some respects more than Tuivasa's somewhat deficient takedown defense. Uh, good top control, kind of good passing. Uh, I mean, again, he, Spivak looked like a cab driver when he fought Walt Harris. So, I don't know. Uh, again, heavyweight's a hard thing to get a handle on in a lot of respects. It's just a weird division. It is a weird division. So, 
And good on Spivak. Tuivasa for a guy. He's now, I think, four and three in the UFC and on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, not good. Not a good look. Uh, uh, well, versus, oh, God, uh, this fight. This fight sucks. And yep. The fight wasn't awful. Not not the worst fight of the night. I thought Diego, it was. No, Matthews and Ackman was much worse. Okay. Um, Lima defeats Luke Jamo via split decision. That was horseshit. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't know how you... I had Lima winning 30-27. I don't know which round they gave Jumo. I don't know which judge gave him two rounds. They should be publicly flogged. That is absolutely, undescribably even all bad sweet. scoring. So it's not even like hometown cooking. I mean, I wish I could say that was the worst scorecard of, you know, last night, but then, you know, Triple G wins a unanimous decision in a fight he lost. Okay. Uh, boxing aside. Um, you know, look, Diego Lima's not a world beater, but... Won that fight. He won this fight. Again, clearly won this fight. I don't know what that judge was smoking. Look, when even comment- when even the UFC commentary team buries your scorecard, you have failed miserably as a judge. Uh, uh, kicking off the main car. Uh, oh, sorry about Lima. He's not as good as his brother Douglas Lima. Is the much better fighter. But Diego's done a good job of shoring up his game, of making incremental improvements. And you know, again, world beater. No top fifteen. No solid enough fighter whose you know story of progression over the last couple of years should be a motivating factor for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, kicking off the main card, Jorgen De Castro knocked the stupid out of Justin Taffa two minutes and ten short. seconds into the first round. At least uh, it was short, because yeah, God. with those guys' physique, this, I don't think it would. If it got out of the first round, it would not have been pretty. Not just their physiques, but their technique. Ooh. <laughs> right. Um, Good win for you know. Good win for De Castro. Taffa just kind of lunged forward with his chin. Castro. Threw a straighter punch, clobbered him, put him to sleep. Um, you know, again, low-level heavyweight action, but it ended quickly, so yay. Mm. Uh, as for the rest of the card, uh, Jake Matthews. You were you were so excited that Jake Matthews came out to Motorhead music. It was a nice choice, you know. Nice. Uh, it, you know that it, he came out to Triple H's old theme of the of the game done by Motorhead. For those who may not have seen the fight. Which is a good walkout song. I mean, it was for Triple H for many years. It still is when he chooses, if he chooses to use it. Solid piece of music for that. Um, I know Triple H actually referenced on Twitter. You know, it's a badass song. It is. And he then said this was a badass fight. Um, look, uh, Mr. Levesque, on the off chance you hear this, I watched this fight. You could describe it as bad, or you could describe it as ass. I don't think you can conjoin those two terms in this one. This was not a good fight. Uh, Jake Matthews wins 30-27 across the boards. Man, Matthews, this is weird because he's still so ridiculously young. He's 25. But he's been in the UFC for five years. Um, If he's going to turn into something, I think he's going to have to do it very soon. Because there's, there's, we've seen bits and pieces of genuine potential out of him, but he is if he's gonna now, 
I mean, again, he had a good run coming back up to middleweight. Uh, he's, in fact, at middleweight, excuse me, welterweight. At welterweight, he's only lost to Rocco Martin, who himself is on a really good run and probably should have should have at least got a draw out of that uh, Maya fight. I think he'll just be one of their, like, Australian showcase type fighters. Yeah, if he's not if he's not able to really kind of elevate himself in the next like eighteen months, sort of like John Hathaway in his time. Yeah, Hathaway had that bit when it was like, okay, you could be something, and then just it never really clicked. Yeah, right. It it, it happens. Look, MMA is hard. Went on an impressive win streak at one point, and he collected quite a few wins, as I recall, in the UFC. Yeah. Or he kind of like petered out. Yep. Not that Matthews is going to be the next John Hathaway, but it like there was a time where it looked like Hathaway was like a surging potential star. Yep. That was I remember that was a thing. Uh, all right, Callan Potter defeated Maki Patolo via unanimous decision, twenty nine twenty eight across the boards. Um, I have nothing about this fight. It was a mediocre, low-level fight. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, actually, I do about this fight in particular. Um, I think it was Patola who came in off the Contender Series. I prefer the Contender Series to the Ultimate Fighter as a product to consume. That said, I think there's a case to be made that the Ultimate Fighter is a better vetting process of your abilities than the contender series is especially with the stated criteria by which dana white makes his decisions on the contender series so again i'm not saying we'll never see great fighters come off the contender series i'm sure we will but again if you look at kind of dana's for want of a better phrase, scoring criteria by which he makes those decisions. I'm not sure it will produce consistent high-level fighters coming into the UFC the way we all kind of hoped it might. Maybe I'm wrong, but as it stands, just a little food for thought there. Uh, Your fight of the night, Brad Riddell defeated Jamie Malarkey via unanimous decision, 29-27 and 230-26s. Um, Jamie Malarkey barely avoided a 10-7 in the third round from my perspective, but since he did badly hurt Riddell with the left hook, got his back, had a choke attempt, it was enough to stave off the 10-7. Fight of the night, really engaging fight, a lot of fun. I don't know what Malarkey's chin is made of because he ate bombs. He ate some absolute bombs from a really good kickboxer in Brad Riddell. So, good fight. Uh, Megan Anderson crushed a cab driver with a triangle choke, uh, 357 of the first round. I don't know what the UFC is doing with featherweight, with women's featherweight specifically. It's, I appreciate the effort, but at the moment, I don't think there's either market interest or just number of bodies to justify it right now. Uh. I think, uh, again, I think it's time to cut bait with that whole idea. And, you know, in a couple of years, maybe you bring it back if the circumstances change. Yeah, I appreciate the effort. Uh, they they tried, and I think it was a worthy attempt. 
and I don't think they've done anything wrong as it comes to that division. I just don't think, again, I don't think there's a lot of marketplace interest. And I don't think there's a lot of, you know, high-level female fighters at 145. Uh, then kicking everything off on Fight Pass, we had Ji Yun Kim defeat Nadia Kasim via TKO body punches at 459 of the second round. Um, this was, Kim missed weight. She weighed 128 for this fight. Uh, this was the second time in a row that Kim has missed weight at flyweight. Um, time to head back to bantamweight for her. Uh, Kasim's not a UFC caliber fighter. And then, again, for the first fight of the evening, Khalid Taha missed weight and submitted Bruno Silva with an arm triangle choke uh, three minutes into the third round. Yeah, good enough performance from Taha. Uh, had a good first round, lost the second, came back, won the third. Uh, yeah, so finished in the third. You know, the ability to mix, uh, this is something you can take from both his performance and Spivox, the ability to mix ground and pound in with your submission attempts is something that more fighters need to really kind of figure out. And I know it's hard to train because you don't want to punch your training partner in the face repeatedly to open up an arm triangle. But it is one of those points of differentiation between... You know, it's not even really a point of differentiation. Because there are some less-than-great fighters, Sergei Spivak in particular, since I mentioned him. Not exactly a world-beater, I can say without offending anyone did a good job in that element and there's better fighters than him that don't it's an again it's an element of the game that i think a lot of people are still figuring out but if you can do it it's again it is a it is a very very big weapon i mean jack hermanson does it very very well as well the ability to inflict damage and utilizing the threat of damage or the reality of damage to open up opportunities for submission attempts. It's a, again, when it's done properly, you can tell when someone is, you know, is really good at that. And there's a lot, there's some very, very good fighters who struggle with that integration process. So credit to him for that. Uh, All right. That's all I've got. Jeff, anything else from that group of prelims? Nope. Alrighty then. On that note, let's move on to next week. Well, this coming Saturday, at least. The UFC is back in Tampa, Florida. Hi, Mark. Where they will be having uh, UFC on ESPN plus 19. Uh, Main event, former champion Ioannian Jacek back at Strawbridge after a failed bid to take the flyweight, to take the vacant flyweight crown uh, when she was bested by Valentina Shevchenko. She's fighting Michelle Watterson. I imagine the winner here is the next challenger for, again, Weili Zhang. Um, Jeff, is there any reason I should pick against Ioana here? I mean, it's a fight. And Watterson is very good. She's very experienced. And she's won her last three against tough opponents. So... Uh, I'm not picking the the karate hottie, but uh, yeah, you know I love Joanna. I mean, look, it's a good fight. I'm just struggling to try and figure out. 
look, an avenue I mean, of victory and, for Waterston. You kind of fought uh, Thug Rose. Like, it was tough for me to pick against her in that fight, too. Like, I just didn't see how Rose was going to do it. And she did, you know? Um, well, I think we both picked uh, Nama Yunus in the rematch, didn't we? Right. I th- I don't remember, but I, th- I think you're right. Um, it was main- but mainly because of how the first fight went. This fight... Crazy to me that Joanna was the favorite going I into that rematch. See ways that Watterson can come out on top just because she is very tough and resilient and she is highly skilled, but I just don't see her beating... In a five-round fight, I don't see her overcoming Joanna, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm going with Joanna here. It's... Michelle's not at all a bad fighter. I don't mean to give that impression. I mean, but... look, you know, Ioana's not unbeatable now, and, and she is, you know, I mean, it, it was a tough loss, but she is coming off that loss to Valentina. I, again, my my personal issue here when picking this fight, I don't really see points of conflict where Watterson has a definitive edge over Ioana. And... maybe. If we were doing pure jujitsu, okay. But Watterson, Watterson's one of the few women who will actually wrestle. She has nine submission wins. And let's see. Two of those were in the UFC. One was against Angela Magana, who, you know. Yeah. And the other was Paige Van Zandt. So I don't see her submitting someone like uh, Ioana because Ioana's grappling defense and takedown defense are very good, but if she can utilize it, that might be an area where she can have success, possibly. Yeah, possibly. I mean, Watterson's one of the few women who will actually wrestle instead of just go for headlock throws. Right. Uh, She does actually integrate those kind of hip tosses, but one of the major things, one of the major ways you can tell she's thinking about it, not just doing it out of habit, is her timing on it. She doesn't just throw it every time they clinch because this is all I know how to do. I think the size disparity here is going to be a big part of this fight. Um, Michelle Watterson is a natural atom weight, not straw weight. And they both are strikers primarily. They will both fight in the clinch, but I have a hard time seeing... Watterson have a lot of success against Joanna in the clinch. Uh, again, I'm not saying Michelle can't win. It's a fight. I mean, we've said that a bunch of times. I'm just struggling to, again, from a purely predictive model kind of thing, figure out how many, you know, where she's going to find the kind of success that would lead me to feel comfortable picking her. And I just, I don't, again, I don't see it. So I'm going with Joanna. And Joanna versus Zhang would be a darn good fight. All right, your co-main event, another really good fight. Uh, Cub Swanson will fight Cron Gracie. Um, if you're in the jiu-jitsu community, uh, apparently the Gracies kicked Cub out of like all of their associated gyms because he's going to fight Cron, um, which is pitiful. Um, Cron Gracie undefeated in MMA, 5-0. 2-0 in the U- excuse me, 1-0 in the UFC. Um, look, Kron has incredible jiu-jitsu. He has really, really good jiu-jitsu, even, in, uh, even adapting it to MMA, which 
again, there's things in MMA that complicate the issue. If he's able to force nothing but grappling in this fight, he can absolutely win. And Cub Swanson seems to be on a bit of a downswing. He's lost his last four fights. But Cron Gracie has one of the things that all the Gracies have. He's a Gracie? Well, I was going to say no chin. Look, the Gracies historically, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to... Th- to speak of? Cron striking is all right. It not it, well, is, is you know, Kron I actually don't have evidence of that. Any good. Yeah, he's again, he's not bad. He's done a pretty decent job of adapting his jujitsu to MMA. He's good about forcing it. He's a really good back. I mean, he's a how superb back taker. He's great at finishing from the back. How can you just excommunicate a guy like Cub Swanson because of that? Look, the it's Cub Swanson. I am aware, and look, again, I think it's pitiful. I think it is one of those... Disrespectful. I think it's one of those unbelievably stupid... I don't want to say, like, all traditions when it comes to martial arts are stupid, because they're not. Something like this is kind of... It's on the stupid side of things. I think it's it's mean... For one thing, it's mean-spirited. Like, I understand if he's fighting one of your guys, but, you know, work something out, you know? Don't just like make him persona non grata if that if that is the case, but I don't know. Again, there's a lot of traditions in some of the, in some of the disparate martial arts like that that are stupid, are unbelievably <laughs> stupid. I'm picking Cub Swanson. Ditto. By knockout. I again, I don't think Cron striking and Cron striking is not nearly on the level of Swanson's, and I don't know how good his chin is, and I suspect it's not can. very. He's only fought in MMA five times. Yep. And, okay, like, he's beaten Bruce Leroy, Kawajiri, Tokoro. I mean, look, he's the names that he has for how brief his career is in MMA are good names. Right. But Swanson represents a completely different level of opposition. And, look, and, and you know what? Look, Swanson is getting up there. He's not a young man anymore. He's not... Arguably not in the prime of his MMA career anymore. He's not. But, I, I think definitively but, he's not. But he's still Cub Swanson. And look, he went the distance with Frankie. Um, lost a split decision uh, split decision to Shane uh, Burgos. And Muicano and Ortega uh, are top-ranked featherweights in my mind. Mikano used to be. I'm well used to be. Uh, Frankie just, but Frankie just fought for the title. Ortega recently fought for the title. So two top ranked uh, featherweights in top of the division. Um, and he and he gave Frankie. I mean, he gave Frankie a tough fight. Or um, Ortega, he lost in the second round. So I mean, he lost that fight. Yeah, I just don't see Kron winning this one, but we'll see. If Kron's able to very quickly force a clinch and drag things to the mat, <clears throat> yeah, he can win. I mean, again, his now, grappling is that good. Cub does have quite a few submission losses on his record. He's yeah, been you know, submitted by Frankie, by Holloway, uh, Ortega, and Moicano. So, if the, I mean, that's if you want to beat Swanson, that's definitely one way to do it. 
Yeah, and, yeah the more they can, the more Kron oh, can force grappling, the more he can, you know, the higher his chances of winning. He has a very clear avenue to victory. L- Lamas beat him by submission as well. It it for a guy who's been a black belt for as long as Swanson has, his his. Yeah, his submission vulnerability in MMA seems to be relatively high. Well, he's not afraid to take risks. Also true. So that can leave him to some openings, but eh. again, I'm picking Swanson here on the whole, but unless Kron <laughs> knocks him out, I won't be surprised. I think we can do quick hits for the rest of this card. Yeah, again, there's a few good ones here, but yeah. um Brock Weaver will fight Thomas Gifford. Um I think both of the I think Giffords fought in the UFC once and lost. I could be mistaken though. Um that's got that's just the local guy getting his shot one of those two it has to be. Um go with Weaver but eh who knows. Uh, Mackenzie Dern is back trying to fight at straw weight. Jeff, I'm going to make an unkind wager with you. How much does she miss weight by? I mean, the woman recently had a child, so yep. I'm not going to make any such bad. I just feel. Uh, uh, I mean, look, I'm not. I have nothing against Mackenzie Dern as a fighter, apart from the fact that she keeps missing weight. And I mean. I, well, let's see. She's fighting at straw weight for this one. Yeah. Yeah, she is. So again, that's kind of the question. So that's my my question to you: How much does she miss weight by? She should probably be at flyweight, shouldn't she? I think that's more in Isn't keeping with sort of. I'm not. I mean, I hope she doesn't miss weight. Uh, and I'm happy she's back. I, she had a child over the summer, and she's fighting again. Good for her. Yeah, I again, I expect Mackenzie Dern to miss weight. Then I expect her to win the fight because Amanda Ribas is. I think she's fought once in the UFC. I'm doing that off the top of my head. Her name's familiar enough. Yeah, uh, beat Emily Whitmire in her first fight last June. Uh, that was her UFC debut, and she is seven and one. Uh, yeah, I I don't have a problem picking Dern to win the fight. I'm not sure she's going to have a successful battle with the scale. I don't know. Um, Luis Pena will fight Matt Frivola. Not a bad fight, actually. I'm not a guy who really gets the whole Luis Pena phenomenon. But he's, you know, 3-1 and one in the UFC. And granted, a few of those wins are over. I mean, he beat somebody who never fought in the UFC again on the finale of his season of Tough. Uh, lost to Mike Trezano, beat Steven Peterson, who shouldn't be in the UFC based on merit, um, beat old Matt Wyman coming out of retirement. Whereas Frivola is a much more proven UFC caliber fighter. Um, you know, had a loss to Polo Reyes, fought to a draw with Lando Venata. He lost a 10-8 first round, or did Venata get a point deducted? One of those two. Tough fight, but he's he hung in there. Beat Jalen Turner, who a lot of people were really high on. I like Frivola here. I'm at middleweight. Eric Anders fights Gerald Merchart. <clears throat> I kind of like Gerald Merchart, all things considered, but he's slow. He's kind of hittable. 
and that's a bad combination against Eric Anders. So I'm I'm gonna go with Anders, but if if Mershart can avoid the power, force some and force this to the ground, I think he he will. He, he's probably got a good shot at submitting Anders. Uh, as for the prelims, James Vick and Nico Price. I'm shocked that's not on the main card. I am really surprised by that. Um, you know, great fight. Uh, really great fight. This is Vic debuting at welterweight, I believe. It's his, it's his UFC welterweight debut. He's only fought at welterweight once before. Jeez. But on the back of three losses, two of them knockouts, he's trying his hand at welterweight instead of lightweight. And Nico Price is Florida man. Uh, I say that uh, with a fair amount of respect because he fights crazy. Um, so good fight. I'm going to pick Price, but uh, again, that's a fight that it's hard to go wrong with when they get in the cage. Ryan Spann will fight Devin Clark at light heavyweight. Ooh. Ooh. That is not a good fight. Um, we have a really good flyweight fight. Davison Figueredo will battle Tim Elliott. Uh, again, great, great fight. Tim Elliott, awkward, very engaging fight. Um, I'm going to pick Figueredo, actually. Uh, Figueredo, 16-1 and one overall. But if Elliott can force that to the mat, his wrestling and his submission game is the kind that will give Figueroa fits. Uh, Max Griffin will fight Alex Morono. That's not the worst fight in the world for kind of mid-level welterweights. I'll go with Morono. Also at welterweight, uh, Miguel Baeza will fight Hector Aldana. I think Aldana's fought in the UFC. This is uh, this is Beza's debut. Go with Aldana. Um, a middleweight fight between Marvin Vittori and Andrew Sanchez. I don't pick Andrew Sanchez to win fights at this point. Um, unless he's fighting an absolute can. He just will come out hard, forced wrestling for a round and a half, gas out, and then just try to hang on. Uh, I think Vittori's a good enough fighter to punish him for all of that, so... Yeah, going with Vittori. Uh, women's flyweight, J.J. Aldridge will battle Lauren Mueller. Um, I need to confirm which Lauren Mueller this is. Hang on, I'm pretty sure I know, but it will affect my pick. Um, yeah. Yeah, go, okay. Yeah, this is going with J.J. Aldridge. Um, I don't know why I could swear these these two women have the same either their names are identical or just close enough that I constantly confuse them if all I do is look at their names but anyway J.J. Aldridge uh, not without a whole lot of and then uh, Marlon this can't be the finalized bout order so okay I can't speak to that anyway Marlon Vera will fight Andre Ewell that's a pretty solid fight actually um Ewell's gone two and one in the UFC, only losing to Nathaniel Wood, who's a pretty legit prospect, uh, bordering on on like top fifteen contender actually. And Vera's on a four fight winning streak and has like undergone a pretty dramatic transformation to his overall game. If you watched his debut against Mar- uh, Marco Beltran, and I did, uh, he looks nothing like that fighter anymore. Uh, he has done some major work to improve his game, and credit to him for it. 
Uh, going with Vera there. All right, Jeff, anything stand out to you? Any prelims you kind of want to talk about? Uh, James Vick versus Nico Price is a great fight and probably should be on the main card. Yeah, I assume that the bout order listed on Wiki is not accurate at the moment. Okay. In fact, hang on, let me bring up the bring up the topology one and see if... Like, why is Brock Weaver Thomas Guilford on the main card right now? Unless that's inaccurate. No, that does not seem to be inaccurate. One of these guys has to be has to be native to Florida. Okay, could be. Uh, I mean, Weaver be. fights out of. He fights out of Alabama. Um, does he train out of Florida or something? He fight out of. Mm-hmm. I just need his team. Regardless, I don't think I still think if you have a fight like Vic versus Price, you would want to put those guys on the main card because, I mean, yeah, the, those guys have had losses, but you know that's a potential fight of the night right there, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, Figueroa versus Tim Elliott, that could be a really fun fight. Um, <laughs> that will be buried on the prelims because flyweights. Yeah. Um. Which technically still exists at the moment, surprisingly. So uh, that's about it. All right. Uh, and again, that will be next Saturday. I will have coverage in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So stop by, say hello. Always appreciated. And uh, yeah, that's what I've, that will be what I'm doing next Saturday. Um, all right. News of the week. Let's start with the big one. Former UFC heavyweight champion Kane Velasquez showed up on SmackDown when they debuted on the Fox Network and attacked Brock Lesnar. They uh, had a very brief encounter. Lesnar powders, runs away after he squashes Kofi Kingston to win the title. Kane, it's then been reported that Kane told the UFC he is withdrawing from the USADA testing pool. And given his physique and his desire to get into the WWE, that is not surprising. And look, Cain Velasquez could take me apart with one hand and one leg, all right? I am not saying the man's not a great, great fighter. He absolutely is. If we're in WWE and appearance matters, um, yeah, just putting it out there. So he's again. He's effectively retired. He's negotiating a bit with WWE. What are you saying exactly, Robert? Are you saying Kane is not main card ready? Is he not main event ready? Main event for a WWE event? Is no. He not full gear. Is he not full gear ready? Oh, he's pretty clearly not at this point. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I. I mean. Look, Alistair Overeem, give him six months on us as a to cycle up, and he looks like a WWE guy. Right. Um. Uh. So again, where do you want to? Uh, again, oh, I don't think Kane is officially signed with WWE yet, but they're gonna be doing something with him and Brock at. Has Kane uh, re- reported on this? I don't remember where I saw it. Um, again, they're talking about the how they want to do something with Kane and Brock at the uh, next Saudi card. Okay, so let's... That's all, I mean, that's also where you're going to pay off Tyson Fury and I've Braun Strowman. I've heard, th- I've heard conflicting things, though. 
Yeah, he's uh, as far as where he actually lands, he seems to be doing some he seems to be keeping his options open. He's talking with different places. But I do think they've kind of, you know, at a minimum, it looks like right now they're operating on the assumption that he's going to do something with Brock at Saudi. And here's what ESPN reported. Velasquez said no deal has been signed and he has also been in discussions with other wrestling promotions, including Upstart All Elite Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, last I heard, he also still had a remaining commitment with AAA. I think he has one more match for AAA. Um, I think that match was supposed to happen this month, and I'm not 100%, but I think that card might have been postponed. Um, Kane, look, Kane is 37. For a lot of people, that's really past your prime as a as a fighter and athlete in combat sports. I think this I think this could be a positive move for him to, you know, continue if he likes wrestling and he's a wrestling fan to continue to get to perform and um and do something else now that his MMA career might be over. Look, in six months when he and Daniel Cormier form a tag team, it'll be great. Right. Because Cormier can do the talking. Probably. Um, man, I mean, I mean, it's so weird because I never really expected this to happen to Kane. You know? Yeah, he was, again, DC's the one who's the documented pro wrestling fan. Always talked about wanting to make that move. I never really knew that. Is Kane even a wrestling fan? I mean, he seemed to do well in AAA, but I, I never even knew he, he liked or enjoyed wrestling before. Uh, again, I don't know. He's I know he tried it out at the performance. He tried out at the performance center. He's done. Well, tried out might be an exaggeration. He worked that he did some work with them occasionally. Again, he seems to really enjoy the Lucha Libre stuff that he's done. Uh I wouldn't say he washed out of MMA, but it's sort of like... Yeah, he did. Got, he's he in this weird spot. Him. He kind of occupies a similar spot to... This might seem like a weird statement, but let me properly uh, flesh it out. Um, BJ Penn, for a while, and if you stop his career, if you stop looking at his career at a certain point was for a while recognized as, again, one of the best ever, also somehow considered an underachiever. And I understand the reasoning behind it. If his career, if he'd made different career decisions here and there. I don't uh, think we can call Kane an underachiever, though. Yeah, and, and hang on, let me finish the point. Okay. Okay. Kane occupies a again a different but similar position in that probably the second best UFC heavyweight ever based on body of work, and yet there still remains a bit of that. What if we know? Yeah, like if things had gone differently, he could have been even better. And I think I don't think that's a very controversial scary. perspective to have. It's scary. But the two times he won the heavyweight title, I never thought he was going to, like, I thought no one was going to take that away from him. Yeah, he smashes Brock. 
And we all thought, okay, because you know, we'd talked about for years how good he was, what he was going to do when he, I mean, he debuted in the UFC at, I think, 2-0. and Yeah. Because he couldn't find fights and then resumed smashing people in the UFC. Ascends to the title. Uh, and then, you know. Right away. Not right away, but had, you know. After the Brock fight is when he started, is when he is when the injury issues first started, sort of piling up. That yeah, was, he had because uh, he had the knee injury that he kind of had going into the JDS fight, loses but to even Dos Santos. He was off so long going into that fight. He had, he was off for a year, I think, because of a shoulder injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that shoulder injury that kept him on the shelf. Yeah, he's not <laughs> odd. Odd stat. Someone pointed out. First UFC on Fox card, Can Velasquez is there. First UFC on ESPN card, Can Velasquez is there. First WWE on Fox show, Can Velasquez is there. A bit of a an obscure stat, but okay. Um, it, it's weird. He only lost three times. Three yeah. times to. Dos Santos, UFC champion, Verdum. UFC champion. UFC champion, the only non-UFC champion he's lost to at this point was uh, Nganu. And it would um, not shock me if Nganu becomes champion at some point. But if you just look at the timeline and the injuries, again, it's a weird thing for a guy who I achieved think, that I much. Think the problem was he was not, was, he was not taking, he and I think American, um, kickboxing academy we're not taking good enough care of him um and just trying to avoid injury and it seems like he was either overtraining or training too hard while he was hurt and it just kept i think that's what caused him to have those long layoffs and just uh and those are what really killed him and his momentum. Um, and to be frank, when he was off for almost two years before that fight with Verdum, he should have been, I'm sorry, he should have been stripped of the title. Yeah. He needed, you know, it sucks because, yeah, he did, you know, he beat Bigfoot, he beat DeSantos. Um, but... When you're not defending the belt an entire year, he should have been stripped, right? Um, I don't know. I'm. They, they. I, I feel like they bet too hard on him building the sport for them in Mexico and kind of being the me- the face of Mexican MMA for the UFC. Um, he should not have held on to the title. They should have stripped it a lot quicker. In in the case we're talking about, yes, I agree. Right. I don't know. I'm. Eh. It's a but much like, it, it, like the discussion about how the UFC handles its champions. He was not fighting from October 13 to June 15. Then he had a whole other year off for his next fight with Brown. Then we never saw him again until 2019. So it, 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 it was really the injuries that really killed his career yeah and it's crazy for someone to have accomplished as much as he did and is as universally acknowledged as one of the best as he is 
for there still to be a little bit of that, you know, but what it, you know, but he still well, didn't live up to his potential. I feel like kind of thing. if not for the injuries, he could have surpassed Stipe. What we, what we're talking about with Stipe right now. Um, but look, two-time UFC champion, and I mean, he, he, had a, he had a great successful career, all intents and purposes. We're talking about, again, the run, second best UFC heavyweight ever, I think. His second run with the belt was a, was a good run until, until he got derailed with the, the injury that put him off for almost two years. Because um, he, defend, he defended again. And look, Bigfoot was having a good run at the time. Junior, I mean, Junior was still at a high level at that time. You know, it was the trilogy fight. So, great career. Um, but yeah, it, it's crazy to think that, you know, if things had been different, could he have done even better? Yeah. Maybe. And again, it's a really weir weird space to occupy as far as that goes, but that's one of the, that's where he is. I think when Kane was, when Kane was at the top, he was scary. You know, if you, again, if we kind of do the old, you know, best I ever saw test, Kane Velasquez is the second best heavyweight I've ever seen fight. I think he's better than Fedor. Uh, I, I, I don't, but I that's a completely separate discussion. I think, he, I think he, and quite frankly, I think he faced better and defeated better opposition than Fedor while he was champion. I think he faced a more consistently high level of opposition, yes. I don't think at the top level he faced... Um, put he it like this. Hey, hang on, put it like this. Put it like this. Or never did. Put it like this. I think the best version of Mirko is better than the best version of Junior Dos Santos. Uh, sorry. No. And, uh, again, they fought. JDS won. JDS has a no. long body of work. JDS. Uh, no. I, get, they get, I, I cannot abide. I am of that opinion. Um, and certainly, I'll, okay, another one then. I, I absolutely believe the best version of Big Nog. Do you are these rumors true though that he he's on WWE TV right now without actually signing a long-term contract? I would buy that just because again the WWE makes a lot of out of characteristic uh, uncharacteristic business moves as it pertains to their Saudi Arabia shows. Mm. True. And, and again, the the next uh, the next sweet Saudi blood money, as Larry Zonka calls it. But me. they haven't announced the card for Crown Jewel yet, and we have no indication this fight is in the works for Crown Jewel. I think that's what's been reported: is they want Kane and Brock to do something I, at Crown Jewel. Hang on, they also want the um, Tyson that Fury. Rumor, it's not official. And they also want the Fury Strowman thing to pay off at Crown Jewel. Uh. Tyson, oh, Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury, yes. Oh. Look, it's a, again, it's a stupid angle. I don't like it. I'd rather Tyson Fury were boxing. But they have really deep pockets in Saudi Arabia. Their economy must be doing really yes. well. Right now. Well, hold on. There's two yeah. different points. There, there's two separate points you're making there. One is the deep pockets of the people who are paying for the event. One is about the economy of Saudi Arabia more generally. Right. There are two different points. The people well, paying WWE for these for these shows and are making these kind of. When I said that, okay, 
Okay, my mistake. I missed. I'm aware. Here. I'm aware. I'm aware of the dichotomy of the two points. Yeah. Yeah, look, the Saudi prince that wants to see Fury and Strowman and Kane and Brock in a wrestling match. Yeah, they're going to WWE is very, very accommodating of whatever they kind of want over there for a variety of reasons, most of which are money related. So given that that is kind of what I think they're going for with this, I can believe that he's not that he is on WWE television without a long-term deal locked up, assuming that the goal is a... Assuming that all they're looking at right now is Crown Jewel. Um, do you remember the Sasha Baron Cohen version of The Dictator? Uh, I didn't see it, but I know of its existence. Well, I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's... I think I think Sasha Baron Cohen kind of went off a cliff after Borat in terms of quality. Uh, but I think there's sort of a, a valid perspective in that scene where you see just sort of what celebrities are willing to do, you know, for payoffs with um, these sort of wealth, wealthy uh, dictators, you know what I mean? I mean, look, this is an MMA podcast. All I have to do is say Ramzan Kadyrov. Uh, but, like, there's a scene in that movie where, like, he's he's had a... Where Sasha Baron Cohen's character has had a, a tryst with Megan Fox. And it's Megan Fox in the scene. And he, and he pays her with, like, a bag of, like, jewels and rubies and stuff. That does not seem out of touch with reality for as much as that movie tries to be a parody. No, but I mean, we've heard of celebrities going to these like really sort of questionable events because like they got they got a check to be there and they got like. Hey, the I mean, look, I'll, I'll give you another one that's coming up. The, the World Cup is coming up next year. Yeah. It's being held in Qatar. And there's gobs and gobs of evidence that the only way that country was able to get the necessary number of stadiums up to code for FIFA is with basically slave labor. There's tons of human rights violations issues that are circling around that entire event that no one's talking about because it's the World Cup. This is the 2020 World Cup. Yes. Um, didn't they make a deal for one of the next World Cups to be in... Uh... USA or when is, is that 2024? I think so. There's going to be part of it that's in there, yeah, because Cutter's the next one. I thought one was going to be in Russia. Or was that the last one? Might have been the last one. I'm not. A, I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> I, I I'd have to double check a few of those things. I, so they greased. Apologies. You're saying they in 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 Cater, they they greased the palms basically. I again, I imagine part of that, and again, they like were set. They were greenlit and they were given you know hey if we're going to do this you need x number of stadiums to host the games and they have to be up to and here's our here's the you know code we require you to meet and the only way that it was able to be that those conditions were able to be met within the time frame allotted again calls into question the practices used to uh, to get it done i think if, if kane is retiring officially from MMA. This is probably a good fit for him. He, I don't, 
I don't think he needs to work a full-time WWE schedule. I think he can be a special attraction there, probably get paid good money. They could probably do something with Cormier uh, at some point because we know he loves WWE. And, and he could, I, you know, if they were to make Kane a more regular star, I would maybe like make Cormier his mouthpiece or something, you know? And let, look, they can revisit, and this is an obscure reference even for wrestling, but they can redo the Sylvester Turkai thing where, you know, Kane, where DC is his mouthpiece and also wrestles. Um, and Kane just looks intimidating. Now, Meltzer was saying on his show la- uh, last night that the, the guy who should get the job is Jim Cornette. And I'm like, no. Are you kidding me? That makes... Why would you have Jim Cornette be Kane Velasquez's mouthpiece? It does not fit at all. Like, I mean, if Kane did the like super traditional wrestling tough guy, but his whole shtick is lucha libre stuff. <laughs> like that doesn't even make sense. Um, unless you're just trying to play into, um, look in Cornette and like Paul Heyman. And, and, and what I will, say, Kane's given a lot to this sport, so I have no, I have no problem if this is his new career. I hope he's getting paid. If he's happy with the compensation, if he's fulfilled, Godspeed and party on. I have I have no issues with him moving on. And again, well, I, mean, he's, I have issues with the Saudi Arabia stuff, but I mean, like, okay, that's a it's like it's a it's a whole other thing. Yeah, I mean, again, that has very I mean, I Kane would be wrestling you. Maybe not in WWE just yet, but he'd still he seems to want to make a run at pro wrestling as what he does next. And again, I have no issues with that. God bless, man. I think, but I think it, I think he should make like an official announcement. Well, again, I I yeah. think they said that I think he have informed the UFC that he's withdrawing from the USADA testing pool. That's the rumor, but it's not. He has he hasn't said anything himself like that, and I haven't seen it anywhere on ESPN or anything like that. Oh, we, uh, who, who were we citing when we mentioned it then? I think that, I think that came from the observer radio. Let's see if I, it's, let me pull it up and see if it's right. That's where, there. that's where I heard it. Now I'm not saying that's inaccurate, but uh, MMA junkie says that. Really? MMA junkie is reporting the Ken Velasquez informed the UFC with the junkie yet. Like that's the that's what's again that's what is referenced on our site. Hang on, and click the link. Yeah, MMA. Is, if it's on MMA Junkie, if it's on MMA Junkie, then it's pretty. I would say it's highly likely. Yes. So yeah, he's and again, once you're there's shenanigans the UFC can use to get around Usada if they want to bring him back, but this is. A, and I'll, again, like this is basically Let's just it. Say, it wouldn't surprise me if he tries to fight in MMA again, even if it's not the UFC. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he is still technically under contract with them, even if he retires. So, I we've seen fighters get around that too. Again, again, I'm not saying it's in a. I'm not saying it's an un, impossible scenario. I'm saying there's again, there are things to consider. There, I mean, but, yeah. I mean, as much as I hate to say it, do you think Kane even has a ton of value to the UFC at this point? With the, with the right it setup, have, yes. Might not. And this is con- and this is kind of the rough thing about this sport. The kind of the cruelty 
It's a very cruel, selfish sport at times, Robert. Yeah, it absolutely is. That's, you know, that's kind of why fighters just have to be aware. They have to make as much money as they can because it can be gone fairly quickly. I mean, even when you're still young and in your prime. I mean, Robert Whitaker yep. just had to fight Israel Adesanya coming off of a 18-month layoff. And Whitaker is younger than Adesanya. Yeah. I mean, Adesanya's 30, Whitaker's 28. Those two are probably going to fight again. Wouldn't surprise me. Again, not an immediate rematch, but probably somewhere right. down the line. They're both I, that good. Anyway. I, the next thing I really want to talk about is this whole Bisbing thing. Because uh, um, oh, when, when you okay. posted that on Facebook, like, my mind basically exploded. Well, okay, hang on. Let's – we can go into that then. All right. So on his podcast – Believe um, you me. Michael Bisbing, former UFC middleweight champion, UFC Hall of Famer. He, he's in the Hall of Fame, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think they put him in last year, like this year. Anyway, Michael Bisbing, if he's not in the Hall of Fame, he will be shortly. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, unbelievably important figure in the history of the sport for a variety of reasons, positive and negative. First British UFC champion. Yes. Again. Um, when he, I believe the, the uh, inciting incident to what happened was he was asked about his perpetual decision, you know, how many times you saw him indoors with like sunglasses on kind of thing. And his response was, I was hiding from the athletic commissions and here's why. Then he proceeds to remove his right eye, which is now a prosthetic. He literally lo has lost the eye. I wish I never saw that, but it's it a, it's plastic. Like it's it's a again it's a prosthetic. It's not an actual eye that he was pulling out of his head. What I want to know is when did he when did he get his eyeball removed? I don't know. You'd have to ask him. If I were to, but here's the thing. And again, the way Bisbing phrased it. My inference, which is probably, which is, I believe in my immediate inference was he's saying that he fought in the UFC with his fake eye. I don't know that to be true. And I find it not impossible, but unlikely for that specific circumstance to have arisen. What I think is much more likely is the following. Because um, MMA Junkie, I think, when they talked about it, mentioned that he fought his last, like, 11 fights with no, uh, with no vision in his right eye. Now, again, that doesn't mean he had the physical eye removed at that point. It just means he couldn't see out of it, which is a whole other thing. Look, I'm not going to say Bisping shouldn't have been allowed to fight, I but... Will. Here's what I am going to say for this. If this happened and the commission was not aware of it, this is um, an appalling indictment on the regulations and the activities of every athletic commission who regulated those fights with Bisbee. OK, now, again, I don't know when he had the physical eye removed. He may. I don't think that. And look, if he doesn't want to say. That's his personal medical information. Okay. Fine. I'm I'm not 
that's on him. Sad even really fly here for, you know, public regulatory bodies. Well, hang on. It does in the sense that, again, now it does. Like, right now, if he says, if someone asks him, you know, so but when did you have... But revealed that he has a prosthetic eye. Yes. He did that himself. Hang on, that does... That, and that he, said, not enti- he said, and I quote, like, how hard was it to fight with one eye? So he's basically implying that he's been fighting with a prosthetic eye for a considerable amount of time before he retired. Yeah, I, 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 I that does seem to be the implication. I, I find that. I, I want to un- know when this happened because. Again, you'd have to ask him and you'd have to trust his I, I dug up an, an, an MMA fighting article because I remember when this eye injury happened for him. It was some years back. But. In it September, was after the Belcher fight, right? I think so. But in September 2013, there was an MMA fighting article by Sean Al Shadi writing about him getting some eye surgery because of the detached retina. This all started because he had a, a detached retina. Yeah, but I remember uh, this because we made jokes. Okay. He was those on- fighting Mark Munoz at UFC Fight Night 30, severe eye injury in the lead up to that fight. Yeah, I, I remember we all kind of, and I'm guilty of this, we made some jokes about it because of how the Belcher fight ended. That said, fight no, hold on. He said he competed in consecutive fights against Vitor Belfort and Belcher with a detached retina. While his per- peripheral vision had degraded severely, uh, by then Bisping had already passed his annual UFC-mandated eye exam, so the injury slipped by unnoticed. And this was reported by MMA Fighting. He underwent surgery later that month at the Retina Institute of California to repair his uh, damaged eye. For a time afterward, everything seemed fine. He went to follow-up appointments. Doctors cleared him to train, then cleared him to spar. Before long, Bisping was knee-deep in a training camp at Eric Paulson's CSW gym, but then it all came rushing back. Um, Some sort of vision problems. Very... Very thin slit of vision. Um, They said, yep, your retina is detached. Obviously, I couldn't believe it. So I think he thought the retina had been repaired, but it was fully detached again because of that. Um, I I, I just don't, I don't know. What what is going on here? Well, again, I don't know. This is bizarre. Hang on. It's actually not. Hang on. Two things. One, I don't know when he had the eye removed. He might have only had it removed after he retired, and he was just completely blind in that eye. Fall out, Robert. They don't just like fall out one day, you know. No, again, like he didn't lose his, he didn't misplace his eyeball. He's also been retired for two years. Okay, He, he could have had it removed after he retired. Why is no one asking? Why are we the only ones asking about this now? I don't know. Like, like I feel like like other pe- other people in the community should be asking these questions. They might already know and just you know it was we're told off the record kind of thing and can't reveal it. I don't know. But hey, look, next time you get a chance, ask him when he had it removed. All right. Do you think he was fighting with one eyeball with a press? 
with a prosthetic. So I think he was fighting with a full-on prosthetic eye. Yes. No. Sonam was talking. Sonam was talking in, on his channel that all of a sudden his eye, after a while, his eye looked like it had cleared up, and it, and he said because that's because it was a prosthetic. So Sonam was basically implying that Bisbing was fighting with the prosthetic for a while. Yeah, so let me say this. No, I don't think he did. I would not be all that shocked if I'm wrong. But if he did, that's it. Is that not like illegal? I, I'd have to double check the specifics. So, I mean, what law would he be breaking? What are the rules on fight on, on like uh, your vision with one? Are you allowed to fight, go into an MMA fight with just one working eye? No. What I want to know. From a sanctioning perspective, no. Otherwise, there'd be no reason to stop a fight when a fighter has just one eye swollen shut. Otherwise, that's, that is such a unbelievably hypocritical position to take if, that's, if that is the case. If their stance is, you know, you can be blind in one eye and we'll let you fight, but if you one eye swells shut... But as a matter of course, if a fighter with two good but, eyes has one eye swell shut, we'll stop but, it. But, 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 now, that's, that's an, that's an injury, you know? And... The, the concern is functionally the same. Okay. I mean, look, there's, again, the reason you stop a fight when a fighter has one eye swollen shut is because it but, is for... Like, in this case, like, it, you don't have an injury that can be made worse. No, but you again. The but issue if, is like purely he, mechanical. If he, was, if he was totally blind in one eye, and he was still allowed to fight, what do we do here? What are I mean, we doing here? I mean, look, we can't do. Okay, again, a couple of things. One, there's nothing we can do now. It's all already happened. What are you going to do? <laughs> I think we need to have that. We need to have this discussion in the commission needs to answer some questions. The commissions that oversaw his fights need to address this immediately is what okay. is what needs to happen. That is what needs to happen. That's a fair perspective. Here's the here's another bit of reality. I'm demanding some answers from that. Uh, okay, hang on. Let, look, Justin Gage has talked about how long his eyesight was just terrible. Like legally blind kind of eyesight. When legally blind is not the same as okay. medically blind. I mean, he had laser eye surgery not that long. Not that long ago. Right. That's why he doesn't have to wear those like Coke bottle glasses anymore. Right. And Gaethje had terrible yeah. eyesight and was cleared okay. to fight. There's to me, there's a marked difference between being legally blind in one eye and then fighting with a prosthetic eyeball. Yeah. Again, if he's fighting with a prosthetic, that is a different scenario because those can break. Like there's there's a there's a significant there's a slightly difference in. So Second, like mechanical hazards. Fighting with a fake eye in your eye socket. Yeah, so when, it's one of the things where I'm not sure when B Michael Bisbing had the eye removed. If he just, I mean, again, if he just fought his last, say, 11 fights while being completely blind in his right eye, but with the damaged eyeball still in its socket, that's still a pretty damning indictment of all the commissions that let him fight, but it's but what about what about Bisping? 
He's not the look. If Michael Bisbing fought his last eleven fights while being completely blind in his right eye, he is not the first fighter to pull that off. He will not be the last. Okay. Uh, Joe Frazier was famously for his last like several fights completely blind in one eye. Okay. Um, Harry Greb, uh, old boxing reference, fought the majority of his two hundred some odd fight career completely blind in one eye. In fact, he used to. He mentioned how he faked it too. He would just memorize the uh, when he'd go in for you know, for his physical. When the doctor was out of the room, he'd go up and memorize the eye chart, so that when he you know would wind up having to cover up the good eye and can't see anything, they'd say, "Okay, read you know, you know start at the top and read down." He just had the whole thing memorized. Like, Michael Bisping is I, not I, the I respect the guts, but I mean, I'm also sort of like. There's kind of a tradition at this point in combat sports. Well, but I'm also like, man, the ca- are, are, what do the commissions even do? You know, I would love to know. Like, every every thing of- purpose if they can't if they can't figure this out. Look, every time I'm skeptical of commissions or you know, the sanctioning bodies, this is kind of why cuz stuff like this is not uncommon. Again, if he actually fought with a with an actual fake eye in his eye socket, that is, I mean, that is a level of incompetence on a regulatory standpoint that boggles the mind. I mean, I said on Facebook, it's appalling. So it's 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 it's, it's, it's one thing for. Benson Henderson to sneak a toothpick into the cage, you know, without anyone noticing. This is a whole nother matter entirely, Robert. Uh, I mean, look, I you know, fighters get into fighting with injuries all the time. And some of them, I understand, like, I, I will never be. I will never be disproportionately angry at a commission if. You know, someone says, oh, I got into this fight with a torn ACL. There's only, like, if the if the fighter goes in for a medical and is uncooperative or deliberately deceitful about the condition of their knee, the only way to, like, the only evidence you can provide to the contrary would be something like an MRI. Other than that, you have to take them at their word. So, I understand that, but, but you'd li- you know, I'd like to think... Remember, get behind. Like, I, there was something that always weirded me out about the first Shell Sonnen failed drug test for the first fight with Anderson Silva. The news reports were saying that Sonnen, like, apparently told the commission that there might be something weird on, or, or something might come back high on one of his tests or something. And if he told them that before the fight, why did they let, allow the fight to happen? My and opinion. Oh, come and on. Here's, here, now, let me finish. Okay. The answer I read from the commission is that they cannot pull, pull the fight for that reason until the test results come back. Is, is they did not have legal recourse to stop the fight without the actual results. There's so no, I mean, look, there's no... The reason for things. There's no so concrete can... evidence in that instance. I mean, a fighter who just doesn't want to have the fight could say, hey, my test is going to pop hot just to get out of a fight. 
and then all the tests come back negative kind of thing. So all I'm saying is there maybe there's a maybe there's a valid explanation for all of this. I it, highly it's not it's not outside the realm of possibility. And again, fighters with bad eyesight or just maybe there's blind a, in maybe one eye is not uncommon. Maybe there's a rule about this. I have no idea, but I would like to I would like to know. I, I simply would like to know. As what is would going I. <laughs> I mean again, I'd like to think that, you know, we can all kind of and it's part of the reason I think if he, I imagine he was fighting with, again, just being blind in one eye rather than with a prosthetic, because if you shine a light into a prosthetic eye, there's no react, like there's not just no reaction, but there's no depth to it. It's a flat surface. Right. So if he was fighting with the prosthetic, I that- feel like this that's be rid- one of the that most is absolutely ridiculous. That is one like, of the most like, stunning regulatory like, fails in the history be, of MMA. You would have to be a cartoon Nick Riviera type doctor to make that mistake. Yes. Like, I don't know. Um, so again, I don't know when exactly he lo- completely lost eyesight in the eye. You'd have to, again, you'd have to ask him. You'd have to ask when he had it removed, and then you'd have to trust that he's being forthright with his answers. And and which again is kind of how that has to go, I suppose. But for the record, here's Michael Bisbing's last, uh, you know, ten fights going down, uh, starting with the most recent going back. Uh, Gastelum, George St. Pierre, Dan Henderson, Luke Rockhold, Anderson Silva, Talos Latis, CB Dalloway, Luke Rockhold, Kung Lee, Tim Kennedy. Yeah, that's his last 10. Uh, go to Alan Belcher if you want to go to 11. That's dating back to 2013. Uh, these took place in the following locations. Shanghai, China, where the UFC self-regulates. Uh, New York for the George St. Again, going top to bottom, going most recent to latest. Gaslam was in Shanghai. The UFC self-regulates in China. Blame the UFC. Uh, New York for the GSP fight. Manchester, England. Inglewood, California. London, England. Glasgow, Scotland. Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Sydney, Australia. Macau, also in China. Uh, Quebec City, Quebec. And Newark, New Jersey. To any of those any of the governing sanctioning bodies for any of those locations, if at all applicable. Um, I feel like people should be fired for this. Like this is a shocking, shocking failure of regulation. Unless there, unless there is just some real explanation for it, which I'm, there might be. I don't know. I'm not sure. There's, a, there's all kinds of weird rules. Who knows? But yeah, look again. Anytime I am skeptical of governing bodies or you know things like that, for the record, stuff like this is why. Because the evidence that there's the evidence that they are actually performing the function they are designed to perform is not nearly as concrete as people would like to think it is. 
All right. Is there any other burning news this week? A couple of shorter things, I suppose. Uh, Because we have to talk about this, Conor McGregor uh, has been charged with assault stemming from the incident where he punched an old dude in the face in a bar in Ireland. Uh, His court date's set for, I think, the 10th or 11th of this month. I don't know what'll happen. Might get a slap on the wrist. Might just be, you know, pay a fine kind of thing. I don't know. But such is the reality. But again, it's Connor. He's on camera committing assault. From a legal definition standpoint, he commits assault. I don't know how else to say it. At least he apologized for this. It's Conor McGregor. What can you do? That's true. I just hope Israel Adesanya has a good group of people around him who aren't going to let him just make such insane decisions. Like reliable people who aren't going to encourage him to go to New York and throw dolly carts at buses. Agreed. All right. Uh, last thing then, I suppose that I have this uh, for UFC 244. That's the upcoming card on November. Um, great card again, very stacked. Got another fight added to it recently. A lightweight fight between Kevin Lee and Gregor Gillespie. Oh, that's a great fight. Really great fight. Unbelievably important fight for both gentlemen. It's going to be some, I mean, this is a very stacked card. It's probably not going to be on the pay-per-view portion of the card. But that's a great fight. That's a very important fight. We should absolutely be paying attention to that one. It's Kevin Lee coming back to lightweight. I like Gillespie. I'm kind of leaning that way, too. Um, but, again, great, great fight. Uh, Uriah Faber says he's interested in a fight with TJ Dillashaw. I don't care. <laughs> Look, Dillashaw's got another, what, year on his suspension. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's, um. So Cyborg is gonna. Fu- uh, did we? I think we talked about that. I, I th- yeah, I think we're out of stuff now. I think the other stuff that I, unless you have something else that has no, come that's, up recently. That's all I have for this week. Well, let me refresh Twitter see if anything crazy has happened. Triple H. I mean, uh, uh, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think anything. Uh, I don't think anything new. Out of two forty-three. Yeah, that's all right. That's a good fight for 244. It's a good-looking card right now. I hope it stays that way. Yeah, really good card. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and get into plugs then. Let's get out of here. So what do you got to plug this week? Uh, my review of Joker. Uh, that's number one movie this weekend. Tough movie to talk about. Tough movie to discuss. Um, I think there was a lot of controversy about the film that was kind of unwarranted um here's what i would say if you're okay with very dark brutal intense films i would say just go see this movie once and see what you think uh regarding the or just joker movie i mean my Um, favorite movie is silence of the lambs i don't think this movie is going to unsettle me next movie is going to be I mean, Joker, it is a lot like almost kind of like a Silence of the Lambs or kind of like Taxi Driver or, or Seven. 
but just like from mainly from the perspective of the deranged serial killer. So mostly taxi driver then. Next, uh, <laughs> next movie reviews will be uh, Gemini Man with Will Smith, and then Zombieland Two Double Tap. Going to do both of those. And a couple more indie films I have uh, coming up in the pipeline. One, uh, Parasite, and The Report. I'll probably just do reviews of those as well. And, yeah. And hopefully some more wrestling interviews will be coming out on the 411 uh, Wrestling Interviews podca- uh, podcast channel. You can check that out on YouTube and Stitcher, Spotify, and uh, the App Store. Or, I guess, Apple Podcasts. So. That's it for me for this week. Thank you, Robert. All right, as for myself, this week, Mark Radulich, I believe Alexis Haina and I, I think, I'm not sure if Jason's going to be there or not. He might be. Uh, we'll be getting together on Damn You Hollywood to talk about Joker, which I have not seen yet. I will see before I review um, this last week. There was no movie review last week, but you can check out all the stuff I do over on the Radulich and Broadcasting Network as well. So again, feel free to do that. And yeah, uh, coverage on Saturday of UFC on ESPN Plus 19. I hope you'll all be there. We'll be back next week to re- oh, sorry. Um, the next couple of weeks on Fridays over at in the Wrestling Zone of 411 Mania, I am covering Impact because they're basically running against SmackDown, and Larry Zonka can only do so much. So I will be covering the last couple of. Episodes of Impact before they move to Axis TV at, again, kind of at the end of the month. So, Wrestling Wars are back. Enjoy it, wrestling fans. So, again, we'll be back here next week to review UFC on ESPN Plus 19, and we will preview UFC on ESPN 6. Um, It's a card. Uh, the main event's good. Dominic Reyes and Chris Weidman. Um, they rebooked the other Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens for that card because ESPN has a hard on for anyone from the NFL who now fights in MMA. Greg Hardy's on the main card. Joe Lozon's coming out of retirement. And it's not a great card, but it could be worse. So we'll give you a full rundown next week. And of course, whatever might've changed between now and then, because it's MMA. Uh, yeah, that's it for us. Thanks, everyone, again for listening. However you found us, be that Stitcher, uh, Transistor, uh, Google Play, Apple Music, whatever. I am—I don't really care how you found us. I care that you listen. That's uh, the primary thing. We'll see you next week, hopefully. Until then, stay safe out there uh, and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>